Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Kmack. Hello, everybody. So the spoiler train has started, and it's not stopping until we've seen all of Theros Beyond Death. But it hasn't really picked up steam yet, and over the past week, we've only gotten one card per day. So rather than release a very short spoiler episode, we thought we'd touch on the handful of spoilers that we've seen and then spend the majority of the episode walking you through our deck building process as we build around the newly spoiled Clothis, God of Destiny. But before we jump into that, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon page. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and access sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, we're going to lead with some of the other spoilers we've gotten in the last week or so. And we're going to start with the rares exclusive to the Theros Beyond Death theme boosters. According to Wizards, theme boosters are going to have unique rares aimed at newer players moving forward. And for Theros Beyond Death, the theme boosters are sticking with a color-based theme but other themes could be included in the future. If you don't remember what theme boosters are, they come with 35 cards. These are all going to be of the same color and include one rare or mythic rare card. And the rares or mythic rares can be a card from the main set or one of the unique theme booster rares. Yeah, this is a strange kind of new thing they're doing, like rare specific to a separate booster product that's technically part of the set, yeah. but isn't. So I'm not, I'm not sure... They're, they're, as you'll kind of see, they kind of skew a little bit more casual, a little bit more Timmy, but mm-hmm. um, it's a new thing. So we're not going to touch on all of them because they are aimed at newer players. A lot of them are intentionally underpowered. Yeah. But there are a couple that I think have niche uses or that hint at themes we may see in the main set. We're going to start with Serpent of Yawning Depths. This is four blue blue for an enchantment creature, Serpent. It's a 6-6. Six, six, and it has Krakens, Leviathans, Octopuses, and Serpents you control can't be blocked except by Krakens, Leviathans, Octopuses, and Serpents. Sea Monsters, they were a sub-theme in the original Theros block. We saw seven Sea Monsters in that set. We saw Whelming Wave, two blue-blue sorcery, bounce all creatures except for Krakens, Leviathans, Octopuses, and Serpents. And then we also got a legendary Kraken from Theros in Commander 2018. That's Eryxmethes, the Slumbering Isle. There's been a little bit of support for this theme, but there hasn't really been a supportive commander printed yet. People have like built around the theme, like this is a popular theme for Thassa, but it's good to see more tribal effects for this interesting tribe, and I hope that it's hinting at more in the main set. Yeah, and the fact that this is one of the playable like ones too from this kind of batch of cards too is a, is a good sign, I think, for the ones that we might see in the non-theme boosters as well. Because if this is kind of how they're pushing it in the casually focused booster packs, I'm hoping that there's actually some decent sea monsters going on in the the regular boosters. The next card is also from the theme boosters. It's Demon of Loathing. Five black black for a 7-7 demon with flying and trample. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. If you remember Demon of Wailing Agonies from Commander 2014... It was one of the lieutenants. It was one of the lieutenants. It basically does the same thing as Demon of Loathing, provided you have your commander out. When you have your commander out, it's a 6-6 flying. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature for 5 mana. 
But if you're running a, a demon tribal commander that lets you cheat on mana costs, like, say, Kalia the Vast, this becomes a slight upgrade over the demon because you don't really have to worry about the cost. Yeah, or if they have, like, spot removal for whatever reason. Yeah, there's no used. way they can shut off the ability. You have some statistics to talk about, right? Yeah. The thing is, like, Demon of Wailing Agonies is the best point of comparison, and if you look at EDH rec, it's only seeing play in 7% of Kalia of the Vast decks. So if if that's any indication, I don't think that Demon of Loathing is going to see much adoption, and it's just a, a very expensive card for what you're getting compared to what you can get on a Demon these days. We have another... Uh, theme booster rare that is a big old skeleton this is underworld sentinel it's a four five skeleton soldier for three and two black whenever underworld sentinel attacks exile target creature card from your graveyard when underworld sentinel dies put all cards exiled with it onto the battlefield i like this better than that big demon the issue with this card is that it's just a bit slow it's very slow it requires you to have a lot of things like a yes. stocked graveyard, a sack outlet, and then multiple turns of you attacking in order to like exile all the things you want to get back. Mm-hmm. If there's more skeleton support, I could maybe see something. But all the skeletons are like little baby things that come back anyway. You don't care. Yeah, about, about reanimating them. Yeah. I think just having to have your like Phyrexian Tower up constantly mm-hmm. <laughs> makes me not super <laughs> excited about this guy. There's other ways to get back a bunch of creatures from your graveyard, but do it immediately. If you have a sack outlet, you can really sculpt your graveyard for like a living death, which also coincidentally costs five mana. Yeah. I think there's just much better, faster options than this. Um, this next card, I think we had to think about it, but I think we both like it. Yeah, it, it seems very silly at first, but I think it actually might have some potential. Yeah, so this is also a theme booster card. So this is Death Bellow Warcry. It is five red, red, red for a sorcery. Search your library for up to four Minotaur creature cards with different names, then put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Yeah, eight mana red sorcery. Kind of seems gimmicky at first, but... Yeah, it's it seems like it's... Okay, I will put this in my Minotaur tribal deck and nowhere else. But I think that it might actually have some legs in like mono red, and we'll get into why in a second, but... First, we'll just talk about what it can do in the Minotaur tribal deck. Yeah. Let's say you're running uh, black-red Minotaurs with Neheb the Worthy, and you cast this during your pre-combat main phase. You get Neheb the Eternal, which is three red-red for a four-six, afflict three. At the beginning of your post-combat main phase, add red to your mana pool for each one life your opponents have lost this turn. You'll also get Kragma Warcaller which is three black-red for a 2-3 Minotaur Warrior. Minotaur creatures you control have haste, and whenever a Minotaur you control attacks, it gets plus two, plus oh until end of turn. Then you'll get Neheb Dreadhorde Champion, two red-red for a 5-4 Trample. When it deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, you may discard any number of cards. If you do draw that many cards and add that much red, and that mana, you don't lose it as steps and phases end. And then the final thing you'll get, and the thing that really makes this work, is Fanatic of Mogus. Fanatic of Mogus is three and a red for a 4-2 Minotaur Shaman. When it enters the battlefield, it deals damage to each opponent equal to your devotion to red. So what's going to happen is you get all these Nehebs and the Warcaller and the Fanatic. Fanatic is going to dome your opponents for six each. And then with Kragma Warcaller, all your guys are going to have haste. You can crash in for like 
up to 23 damage. And then post-combat, you're just going to get like between 18 and 41 mana with your Neheb, the Eternal. Extremely powerful. It's yeah. tons of damage, tons of mana, a lot of card flow off of your um, Neheb Dreadhorde champion. And even in just mono red, you can swap out the, the Warcaller for like a Glinthorn Buccaneer. And would you say that like Glinthorn Buccaneer, it's there's not really much of a cost to running it? No, yeah, I, I would feel pretty fine putting that in most mono red lists just because it is card flow and mono red needs that so badly. <laughs> yeah, I think that like there's not much downside to running Neheb Dreadhorde Champion, Neheb the Eternal, or Glinthorn Buccaneer. Really, it's just like fanatic that's like the cost to running this setup. Because even without your Fanatic Amogus, you're going to get 18 mana, provided they don't have removal. And you're going to get all these mana sources and card flow generators. It just seems pretty strong. Yeah, it seems a lot better than it did at first. Because like, you compare this initially to Insurrection, because Insurrection is 8 mana. It, on the surface, does not look nearly as good. And, and honestly, is probably not going to be as good as Insurrection can be. But the thing I think this has over Insurrection is just you don't need to wait for the board to fill up again. You can just do it. You just go for it. You're kind of more in the, the pilot seat with this, where Insurrection, you kind of have to look around and go like, okay, now there's enough to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. And also, there's, of course, something to be said for redundancy. Like, Insurrection is great as a way to end the game, but it doesn't have to be the only Haymaker in your deck especially when red is just not very good at tutoring it out. You can't consistently yeah. get that insurrection. I don't think we've specifically delved into this, but there's a lot of minotaurs that don't have minotaur in the type line oh. that you could <laughs> grab too. So if you're in multiple colors or you're maybe doing some kind of changeling build, like you can just get four changelings. Yeah, if you're run, running a changeling build, it's a... Uh two-card combo with Liliana's contract. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A lot more going on for this theme booster rare than I thought when I first saw it. Moving on to the next theme booster rare, it is Terror of Mount Velus. Five red red for a 5-5 dragon with flying and double strike. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain double strike until end of turn. I'm probably not going to run this unless there's a reason to. It's like just not quite strong enough to enable aggro to really get there I, I would probably rather have like a dictate of the twin gods something or, that comes down a couple turns earlier yeah and can't get like doom bladed and stuff like yeah. that but that said like i had a zero deck that i love dearly just mono red cheat out dragons and i would have instantly put this in there tutoring up a 10 damage flyer with haste and then also whatever else was on your board gets doubled strike like that's a huge game so i think in decks that want just a big beater or to hit really hard it's probably fine or things that cheated out i mean but i don't really think i would play this in just like stone brow or something like that i I definitely agree i think that its mana cost is so high that you are going to be running a commander that can cheat it so zirulon kalia the vast maybe if you're just really trying to beat the heck out of people with your kalia deck that could be an option but (laughs) i just don't think it's strong enough for most decks the rest of these are all in the main set. We have a non-starter deck rare that was uh, recently spoiled. This is Timurit Calls the Dead. It is an enchantment saga for two and a black. Uh, the first two chapters are put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard, 
then you may exile a creature or enchantment card from your graveyard. If you do, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Then the third chapter is, you gain X life and scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. There are a couple zombie tribal commanders in this format. I don't know if all of them can use it effectively. Part of the problem is that zombies as a tribe really like to use their graveyards, and a lot of their best rewards are things like zombie apocalypse that return all zombies from your graveyard to the battlefield. So a zombie tribal card that forces you to exile the zombies out of your graveyard is not it super feel, what you want to be doing. Yeah, it doesn't feel super good. Again, like these sagas kind of hit multiple points that make me always go like, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is, but I think this one is... It's three mana, you mill six, but then the final reward, like if you did not whiff on the first two and you did get two zombies, is that you gain some life and scry, and that's not usually something I'm going to spend three mana. So I understand that I could get two zombies off of this, but altogether it doesn't seem like something I'm super excited for. Yeah, I just don't think it compares super favorably to some of the amass cards from uh, War of the Spark. Yeah. Because they also create multiple zombie bodies for three mana or less. Yeah, some, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those zombie bodies like are going to be able to attack. If you play like a Gleaming Overseer or a Vizier of the Scorpion like on turn three, then you're going to be able to attack with both of those bodies on turn four when you drop like your Verena. But that's not the case with these tokens you're getting off of Timurek Calls the Dead. Not only is this token generation kind of slow, but it can whiff. And also, like, once it's finished its thing, once it sacrifices itself, like, you can't recur it the same way you could recur a Gleaming Overseer or a Vizier or the Scorpion. Yeah, or even just, like, Lazatep Reaver. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, like, any of these little guys that make two, two or that are two bodies. These next ones, they're all uh, multicolored. But this one is a rare. It's called Allure of the Unknown. It is three black red for a sorcery. Reveal the top six cards of your library. An opponent exiles a non-land card from among them. Then you put the rest into your hand. That opponent may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. This feels worse than I think it is. I think I saw this and was like, oh, that's pretty bad. But there's a lot more to Commander than just like casting a spell and then letting it resolve yeah so i think this has some political potential yeah i would say political potential if the people you play with are like trustworthy and open to making deals you can try something like i'll give away a free card as long as i get to choose what you get and if it's removal you can't use it against me i think that's that's reasonable and you'll probably get an opponent to take you up on that but i don't know it still feels very risky (laughs) then you can get hosed by variants. Like if you have like one good non-land card and five lands and you are putting your trust in them. If this was just like a mono red card, I think it... Yeah, if this was mono red, I actually would like this a lot more. But just the fact that it's black, I'm probably never going to run this just because there's just so many better ways to accrue card advantage. For the same price point, you can get Promise of Power, Ad Nauseam, or (laughs) Necropotence and have a couple of mana left over. But... An interesting card. Also, speaking of interesting cards... Well, we've got two legendary creatures spoiled this week. Let's start off with uh, Gallia of the Endless Dance. Gallia is red-green for a 2-2 satyr. She's got haste. Other satyrs you control get plus one plus one and have haste. And whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random. If you do, draw two cards. 
I saw this card when I was very sleepy the first time. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, a Seder Commander. There's none of those good cards. Like, this is terrible. And then I realized that that last line does not actually care about satyrs at all. And kind of came up on it a little bit, but it doesn't get you there. Drawing an extra card a turn, like there's tech, we'll talk about a little bit of tech for this deck, but I still feel like this is not good enough for aggro to really push ahead. Yeah, let me start by saying that like, if you look through the list of satyrs, there's only four-ish yeah. that you really would be comfortable running, because I don't think Gallia's bonus to satyrs is enough to incentivize just running like vanilla satyrs that don't do anything. Yeah, I would not advise that. Yeah, and because you want to be like getting her trigger as soon as possible, it really is encouraging you to run the cheaper satyrs for the most part. So that only leaves like Voyaging Satyr, which is one in a green for a 1-2 that can tap to untap a land. Reckless Reveler, one in a red for a 2-1 satyr that you can pay red and sacrifice it to destroy an artifact. Seder Wayfinder, yeah. get some lands. And then Willow Seder, gain control of your opponent's commander, which is pretty solid. Yeah, that's, I think that's the best one. I agree with you. I think that for the most part, this deck does not need to be a Seder deck. Um, yeah, and I would advise against it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of just like cheap mana dorks that don't really cost you much to run. You can get them down early. They will get value for you. And they are also helping you get towards the threshold for Gallia to get your card draw like I honestly feel like a lot of this deck shares a lot of things in common with like Grand Warlord Rada or like just a lot of red green aggro lists yeah there's really not too much going on but I think you get to run like Library of Lang which is pretty hilarious if you're like worried about that and Library of Lang for those who don't know is one mana artifact no maximum hand size and then whenever a spell or effect forces you to discard a card, you may instead put it on top of your library. So let's say you randomly discard something that you are pretty excited about with uh, Galia. You just put it on top of your library. Other than that, uh, the deck is pretty standard. Red, green, beat yeah. down. Yeah, you're just going to run good creatures and good spells and eventually help your opponents. Yep. With that, we can move on to the other legendary creature that we saw this week. Yeah, and we'll get in a little deeper. So this is Clothis, God of Destiny. One red-green for a 4-5 legendary enchantment creature god. She's indestructible. As long as your devotion to red and green is less than 7, Clothis isn't a creature. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a land card, add red or green. Otherwise, you gain two life, and Clothis deals two damage to each opponent. So we're going to walk you through our deck building process for this commander. Let's start by looking at Clothis and seeing like what avenues she's encouraging. Generally, I would say that like gaining two life and dealing two damage isn't an awesome reward like it, it's a clock eventually it will get you there but i don't think it's the main the main text on yeah, this card the I, most important stuff i don't think people want to wait till turn 23 just sit there with their enchantment to kill everybody that's yeah. usually not why people play commander so yeah i would i would put a little bit more stock into the other half of that ability the uh, mana generation which requires lands and graveyards Generally, I'm not a huge fan of exiling my own stuff from out of my graveyard. Yes. And 
if I start exiling my fetches out of my graveyard, then I'm limiting the ways I can reuse them with like a crucible or whatever. So I think that this card is really pushing you to get your opponent's lands in their graveyard. Let's talk about a couple ways we can make that happen. Yes, there, there are a few avenues. One is milling them. I guess the first way we'd find these type of cards is we'd go to Scryfall. That's typically what we would use when searching for stuff. Yeah. We're going to look in our commander's color identity. Search for top card library graveyard in the text and see what that gets us. There are some other um, mill effects, but generally it doesn't look like things that we can achieve consistently in this deck. Yeah. Like Altar of Dementia, I don't think this deck is necessarily like a sacrifice type of deck. Yeah, I would not put a lot of stock into that. And there's other things like, um, say, Codex Shredder or Ghoul Caller's Bell, but those are pretty slow. I think in terms of milling a lot of cards from your opponents at once, Mesmeric Orb is probably the best thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then we can also look at opportunities to mill ourselves if we're like also getting value somehow. Hermit Druid, for example, that's showing up in this search. And that's a great way to not only like guarantee that you're hitting your land drops, but also get lots of lands in your graveyard. Some other potential mill effects. There are a fair number of cards that are basically like green cantrips that put stuff into your graveyard. So things like Vessel of Nascency, for example, one green mana for an enchantment. You can pay one to green, sacrifice it, look at the top four cards of your library, put an artifact, creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker from among them into your hand, and the rest into your graveyard. So it's small ways to like increase card quality while also filling your graveyard. That's something else you could potentially do. Another thing that we can look at in terms of ways to get stuff into your graveyard or your opponent's graveyard is wheel effects and rummaging effects. Yeah, you are going to have to get stuff out of your graveyard at some point, probably, unless people are like turn one, turn two fetching. And I think this is the strongest way to do this. So in order to find these types of effects, we're going to stay within our color identity. We're going to look for discard and draw in the text box. So looking through these, we're going to to sort this by CMC, look at cheaper effects, and we're going to see stuff like Faithless Looting, Magmatic Insight, Cathartic Reunion, Wild Guess, Tormenting Voice, Thrill of Possibility. So there's a lot of very cheap cantrippy effects that, again, will just allow you to increase your card quality while getting stuff in your graveyard. That's pretty much right where we want to be with this list. Make sure that you are getting the cards that you need. And meanwhile, like making sure your commander is actually doing something for you each turn. That's very important. Also, like as we start to look at some of the more expensive draw and discard effects, Wheel of Fortune and Reforge the Soul, not only are ways for you to go up on cards if you have very few cards in hand, go up to seven, but also it's a great way to get lands in your opponent's graveyards by forcing the discard. Yeah, those wheel effects are uh, very sneaky. It's a good way to do that. Now, if you have a bunch of lands in your graveyard, you can also do some other things other than exiling them. You're already going to be pitching and milling and hopefully having a bunch more cards in your graveyard than you need. And eventually, like we said, we're hopefully you're going to wheel. There's going to be things to pick off from your opponent's graveyards and you won't have to worry about yours. So we're running like a land recursion package too in this list. So my search would be, again, red-green color identity. And then I would look for land graveyard and if i wanted to refine it more do like land graveyard hand or land return 
something along those lines. And if I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, I would look up a card that does something similar and just kind of copy that wording. So for instance, uh, run in six has a wording that is kind of peculiar. So if I wanted to see if more things did something like that, I might look up run in six, look up land card from graveyard to hand, put that in the search and then see what comes up mm-hmm. and you end up with a few things. So I did a similar search. I did red green commander and I just did land graveyard. The reason for that is like, I also want to catch things like crucible yeah, where you're not really returning them. You're just playing them out of your graveyard. I prefer to do the wider searches first. And then if there's just way too many results, filtering it down. Absolutely. If, there, if there's like two pages of results, I definitely will just look at them all. And that's how you find like hidden gems a lot of the time. So looking at the results of this search, there's a lot of repeatable effects. There's things like groundskeeper, which is a one cost one one that you can pay one to green to return a basic land from your graveyard to your hand. There's life from the loam, which you can dredge to keep reusing. There's Renin Six. There's Crucible, Ramen Up Excavator. These are the main repeatable effects. And because there's so many cheap repeatable effects, I'd be inclined to just focus on those rather than the one-shot land recursion in yeah. this color identity. I agree with that. This deck is also going to run Titania because you, you we are going to be running a lot of fetches and like fetch-adjacent lands that Titania gets you a ton of value. Now that we've figured out we're going to mill our opponents, we're going to discard a bunch of lands, how else can we get lands into people's graveyards? Right, this is the one everyone I think was waiting for. There's uh, something Red's pretty good at is uh, mass land destruction. And understand that some playgroups might not be uh, super down with that. So take this with a grain of salt. But this list in particular is, it's so good. (laughs) It's so good. And you can pretty much run all of them. And I think one of the differences in this list between things that might upset opponents more is that you actually are going to win with your commander out. (laughs) Like if your commander is out and you cast one of these like kind of bigger, splashier mass land destruction spells, you're probably going to win. You're probably going to come out ahead of everybody else much faster just because you have so much more mana. Let's talk about how we would search for this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So same color identity in terms of text searching, you'd probably be uh, destroy all and land and see where that gets us. So just based off of that search, we're going to see impending disaster. That's one in a red for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep. If there are seven or more lands in play, sacrifice impending disaster and destroy all lands. I think you're going to be able to achieve that seven land threshold in a game of Commander very early on. It can happen very, very quickly. (laughs) There's also Ruination, three and a red for a sorcery, destroy all non-basic lands. As we like sort of creep up the mana cost here, we're going to see some really spicy options. Yeah. We've got Jokelhaups, which is four red, red for a sorcery, destroy all artifacts, creatures, and lands. They can't be regenerated. And the great thing about this is not only are you attacking your opponent's lands, getting them into your graveyard for Clothis, you're getting rid of artifact mana, you're getting rid of creature-based mana, and basically after a Jokelhops resolves, the only thing left is just going to be your Clothis, and you're going to be able to get ahead of your opponents by the additional mana she's giving you every turn. You'll be able to rebuild in such a more relevant way. There's also Devastation. Five red red for a sorcery, destroy all creatures and lands. That also is pretty effective at just getting everything off of the board. And then we've got Boom Bust. Boom is one in a red sorcery, destroy target land you control and target land you don't control. Bust is five in a red for a sorcery, destroy all lands. 
And then we've got obliterate, six red red sorcery. Obliterate can't be countered. Destroy all artifacts, creatures, and lands. They can't be regenerated. And finally, decree of annihilation. The main highlight of it is the cycling ability, which is cycling five red red. When you cycle it, destroy all lands. So there's a lot of powerful options, not only for mass land destruction, but also just ways to clear the board of everything. Sometimes you have to... Uh, you have to do a little bit more work. There, there's some other cards that... Wouldn't pop up on that last search we did, but mm-hmm. if we get a little bit sneakier, we can find them. I know me and Nick have both played heavily with, let's say, Wildfire, and the wording on Wildfire is each player sacrifices four lands, so my next search would probably be very similar to that one, but instead of destroy lands, it would be sacrifice lands. Same color identity, and see what comes up there. One that pops up for me is Keldon Firebombers. Three red red for a 3-3 human soldier. When it enters the battlefield, each player sacrifices all lands they control except for three. So that's a great way to pull back the ramp player, get lands in a graveyard. Also popping up is Wildfire, as you mentioned, and Destructive Force which is five red red for a sorcery. Each player sacrifices five lands. Destructive force deals five damage to each creature. So that's going to kill most things, and it'll get rid of most mana sources as well. Yeah, it'll set people back pretty far. I think that we probably want lands that get themselves in your graveyard for two reasons. One, they just become an easy target for Clothis if uh, you really want to generate that mana. And then two, a lot of them also create little loops with your land recursion. So if you have a fetch land, then you play it, sacrifice it, get it back with your Life from the Loam or your Renin Six, or just play it at your graveyard with Crucible Worlds or Ramanap Excavator and just get another land every single turn. How would we go about searching for things like fetch lands, see what's available in our color identity? So I would go back to Scryfall and I would put in the color identity red-green. That feature is so nice when you're looking for lands too. And then I would go to Typeline and put land like is a land and then i would put sacrifice on it that would be my first kind of idea for looking at these cards that are lands that get in your graveyard on their own the other one what i I kind of already know the list would be discard but that's a much smaller list you're pretty much just going to get cycling lands but you if you wanted to see what else did that that'd be a good way to go about it so doing that you're going to get not only the typical fetch lands the onslaught and zendikar cycles but you'll also get some of the, the one-of and two-of fetch lands they've, they've made over the year, like Fabled Passage, Prismatic Vista, or older ones like Evolving Wilds, Terramorphic Expanse. And it's kind of up to you and your budget to figure out which of these you want to run. If you're willing to like go a little bit slower in order to not bust the budget, you can run things like a Panorama, or you can run the Mirage, Enters a Battlefield Tap fetch lands. That's, that's kind of up to you, but there's a lot of options and, and even on, in the budget zone, there's things like Married Landscape, which is enters tap, taps for a colorless, and you can pay two and tap sack it to get two basics of the same type into play. So there's stuff like that. You do have a lot of options, and there are a lot of utility lands that sacrifice themselves for some reason. So maybe you can't afford some of these like more expensive options, but like maybe you have a memorial to Unity that you can reuse over and over again and kind of imitate some pseudo card draw or something like that by paying three and tapping sacking it look at the top five and put a creature in your hand or something like that you don't have to go super hard in the budget department to make a deck that fits together well briefly touching on the cycling availability 
there's been multiple cycles of these over the years, so you get actually a pretty hefty contingent. There's the Urza Saga cycling lands that cycle for two, so there's one in green, one in red. There are the single mana cycling lands from Onslaught, Forgotten Cave, and Tranquil Thicket. And then there's Desert of the Fervent, Desert of the Indomitable from Avar of Devastation, and the cycling dual land from Amonkhet. And then there's also Ash Barrens and Blasted Landscape. So you've got a significant number. And what make these great is not only are they a way to get out of Flood a little bit, get something in your graveyard for Clothes to Exile, but they also form great combinations with Life from the Loam. Just loaming and cycling over and over to get a bunch of lands back in your hand is a great source of card advantage. It feels real good when you're like, all right, get back a bunch of cycling lands and this one utility land and I'll play this and then I'll draw two cards. And then next turn you're like, all right, get back a bunch of lands, some cycling lands. You kind of start cranking through your deck pretty fast. I would highly recommend it in this list because all of these cards work so well with your commander that there's really no harm in running any of them. At this point, this is where I get to my critique of this commander. At this point, we've kind of run out of angles to kind of build around. Yeah. I think this list will be fun, it will be good, and it will be powerful. I think anytime your primary strategy works out really well with land destruction, that's a pretty good a recipe for you're going to kick some booty. So I think this commander will be very powerful, but I this is one of those decks where I would build it and then probably take it apart pretty quickly because you have all this mana, you're coming out ahead of all your opponents in multiple ways, but how do we end the game? How do we win with this deck? Not a lot of ways to win other than like Clothis triggers over and yeah. over yeah exactly and i have heard some friends talking about cards that'll enable you to deal more damage with that closest trigger like for example dictate of the twin gods or furnace of wrath those types of things make it so that clothis is dealing twice as much damage or clock is twice as fast but even with one of those on the field it's a 10 turn clock yeah it still is going to take a while so granted this deck can control the board pretty well because even if you haven't gotten rid of all the lands Like, red-green has things like Rolling Earthquake, X, Red, Sorcery, deal X to each creature without horsemanship, and each player. Basically, like, speeds up the clock that Clothis is doing, but also wipes the board, typically. Uh, There's also, like, Savage Twister, which is X, Red-Green, Sorcery, deal X damage to each creature. And you're getting that little boost of mana, typically, from Clothis, so Mm -hmm. this is a way to kind of keep the board clear, make sure that you can continue to maybe exile some of those creatures that you hit so they can't come back, deal a little bit of damage, gain a little bit of life. This is the point, and this is why I think my biggest criticism of this card comes out, is that a lot of these aren't necessarily searches that Clothis would inspire me to look for. Mm -hmm. These would be like, what do I need for this deck? So now we have our lands package, we have lands that do things, we have our discard and draw engines and kind of our mill package, we have our land destruction spells. Okay, like that's kind of all the hats that I have right now. Like, well... I guess I need some creature removal. And then I would look up destroy creature, destroy part. Like I would start getting into more generic searches. And the best way to like figure out what generic cards you might want to run. EDH rec has the top cards in each color. Also on commandertheory.com, we've got lists of the top cards in each color. That'll help you figure out. I've done all I can in terms of making this deck unique and like playing into my commander's strengths. How do I just fill out these last 15 slots? What are just some good cards that'll help me interact with my opponents? Yeah. We've got lists that you can check out and we'll link to them in the episode description. And this is when you start getting things like Vandal Blast and Chaos Warp. And this, this is the part of the deck building when when I would also start like putting in these cards that are 
more generically good, these staples to kind of help round out the deck. A lot of the time you do need some amount of cards like this to make sure that you can play on the same level as your friends. Yeah, especially given how long the clock is for this commander. You really do need some ways to interact to stop your opponents from whatever they're doing so that you can haymaker them into the ground. Yeah, and I think this is also a point when I can say, like, if a new commander comes out and I'm doing and I can do these searches and I can, before even getting to staples, fill up the deck with like 100 cards that are on theme. I probably like that commander. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the sign of a commander that I'm going to really enjoy or at least enjoy building or like be happy that it's in the format. I feel that way completely. I have cast enough Chaos Warps in my life. I would like to cast other cards and commanders that encourage me to cast weird things. I'm all for it. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's usually a good sign I'm going to like a commander. So Clothis doesn't quite hit that mark for me. I'm excited to get a new red-green god, and I'm excited to see what you all do with it. But kind of came up a little short on the uh, things to build around area. So just to reiterate, like the first thing we do, we figure out what our commander is really incentivizing. Yes. Do scryfall searches accordingly. Check some staples list, whether on EDHREC or on commandertheory.com. The last step I would do is I would just go to this commander's page on EDHREC. Yeah. Just to see if there's any tech that I missed, because there may be something that doesn't show up in your gatherer searches, some card you're not aware of. For example, like if I didn't, know that library of lang existed i'm not sure i would have been able to find it just casually gatherer searching when when building gallia i'm always surprised like i'll I'll do this too it's kind of like when you are finishing something up and you kind of do an idiot check like did i leave anything behind like i'm leaving this hotel room did i leave my toothbrush here that's pretty much what this kind of feels like for me when i'm building a deck is i go to idiot track i check on whatever commander it's going to be And I go like, oh, is there some really, really obvious tech that I forgot about for a Farah God of the Polis or something like that? And then if I look and I'm like, oh my God, how did I not put Stone Cloaker in here? Then that's your idiot check. You're like, okay, of of course I would have put that card in this deck. (laughs) Something like that. Right now, being that it's spoiler season, you couldn't do this with Clothis. In a few weeks, I think you'll be able to. They're pretty good at getting spoils on EDA track. Yeah, I think that right now they have six decks on Clothis, so it's not a, oh, yeah. <laughs> a robust sample. Yeah. And also EDH rec has a tendency to skew towards staples. Yeah. So I really like doing the gather and scryfall searches first, just to make sure that you're getting all the tech. After you've done your, your scryfall searches, after you've checked lists of staples, after you've done like your idiot check with EDH rec, I wouldn't buy it, sleeve it up yet. My next step is always just a play test. So we've been building this deck in Architect, and Architect has a play test function. So you can just get an idea of how the deck plays, like see what some of the weaknesses are. For example, you might notice I'm able to consistently destroy all lands. I'm able to generate mana, but I don't have anything to do with that mana. I don't have mana sinks. So maybe that's something you can focus on from there. After you you get the reps in, learn how the deck works, that's when I would go ahead and think about shopping for it, building it, and then actually playtesting with with my friends. We have so many tools nowadays, and prices on a lot of these staples have gone up so dramatically in the last few years that uh, it's really, really nice to have these kind of like architect playtest functions and other places that you could try to put this together. Like, let's say you have a fairly robust 
Magic Online collection. Like maybe you try throwing it together there and seeing if you like it before you sleeve it up and bring it to your friend's house or the shop or something like that. It can be tempting. The promise of new cardboard, the pull of that can be really, really strong, but give it a second, give it a breather, test it out and then see if you actually want to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, there's nothing worse than like buying a deck without having tested it and you find out, oh, there are some serious problems with how I built this. I just wasted a bunch of money. It can feel pretty bad. Yeah. So we definitely encourage you all to put the rubber to the road. In some form. And there's many ways to do that now, which is very nice. The big part of why we're doing this is... I think the process, because like the especially commander theory, like if you've been listening for a while, there's a lot of deck lists on there. And that process can kind of seem mystifying and kind of like daunting if you aren't used to it. Or maybe you're a newer player, or maybe you haven't really used Gryfall, like the search functions too much. And the cool thing about building these decks is you do get to kind of put your own spin on things. Using like the advanced search in Scryfall is incredibly easy and lets you just put together these like piles of cards that you're just not really going to get to do if you are someone who's typically used EDH rec or borrowed lists a lot of the times from online or other places. This really is going to give you a way to put your own spin on things and really kind of build around a commander in a way that you will, I feel like, connect to more. I feel like the decks that I make that are good, like when I go through these processes, and, and honestly, they're, they're bite-sized steps. You you do this little search. You make a little list of cards and you put some, you put them in the deck list. You do another little search, you put those in the deck list. Like, you don't have to sit there and filter through thousands and thousands of cards. Oh, no, that's 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 a waste of time. Yeah, you, you definitely do not need to do that. I do know people who like doing that, but that's a, that is a personal choice and mm-hmm. not one that everyone needs to do. Building these decks can be fun and a lot easier than I think a lot of people might assume they are. Like, they take time. It's it's something that takes time and thought, and you do have to kind of critically think about what you're looking for and what you want to do. But I encourage that. I think that's one of the best parts of this game is making decks. In this case, with Clothis, we did all our searches, and we ended up with not 100 cards. We had to sort of fill it in with good stuff. What do you do if you do all your searches and you end up with 120 cards in your list and you have to pare down? How do you make those decisions? That's kind of one of my favorite things to have happen. So I usually look through the 120 cards and I find the ones that are the least efficient at doing what I'm doing. Maybe this is like a six mana sorcery and the mana cost is already off the charts or stuff like that. I I cut down to kind of the bare minimum and then i make sure that the deck works maybe i'm not in green so i'm going to need some kind of mana rocks to make sure the deck works but i'm only going to put in initially when i'm playtesting the bare minimum <laughs> i just want to see what works what doesn't work like when i draw life from the loam is this really good in this deck if i draw some other like is a tormenting voice worth it in this deck or maybe i'm in black and there's like another option for me or maybe i do really want these discard effects so like having these like wheel of fortune type things like makes it work better. I always start with more of the theme and then pare it down and like adding in staples as I realize, oh, I can't play the game (laughs) without these. And that's kind of my process. And again, that takes like testing. That's something that is in that last stage for me usually. Yeah. I had a friend who, whenever he ended up with too many cards in a deck, he would just increase the lands proportionally. So 
you know, normally we do a baseline of 38 lands, but he would make sure that he was hitting that like 38% ratio across however big the deck size was. And he would just goldfish like that. I really like that. Actually. Yeah. So that's a good way to like actually get a, a typical goldfishing experience, but you know, with more cards and that way you can see them all in action and you don't have to do too much guesswork or, or theory crafting. I think I'm also talking from a position where like I do this every week. I'm always looking and building and thinking about decks and my decks and stuff like that. So I think I have a little bit more intuition for things that'll work. If you don't, I that that method right there, I think is probably the best way to really get going at it because you'll get to see like, oh, well, this card sat in my hand forever. I never wanted to cast it. And then you can go like, oh, well, probably just cut it. And then you can cut lands accordingly until eventually you get down to where you need to be one other potential rule of thumb if you don't have a feel for deck building yet Mm -hmm. is just if you can avoid cards that are narrow or like they're only good in this specific situation or they're the kind of things where it's like you tap out for them and then you have to go around and untap in order to start getting your value pursue cards that have an immediate effect as opposed to like okay this say black market is going to be really good and generate a lot of mana if it survives for very many turns and a lot of creatures die like maybe in its stead just try putting like a a gilded lotus or a thran dynamo something that is going to get you mana immediately and will also continue to generate a fair amount of mana for the next few turns yeah that is very good advice so we're gonna have this clothis deck that we've been discussing today posted in the episode description we're also going to have gallia deck posted in the episode description and if you want to check those out on architect we're going to have a link at the bottom of the page that will take you to tcg player if you're interested in purchasing either of these decks you can follow that link and when you buy the cards it will give us a little kickback so if you're interested in getting this deck anyway and you want to support the show please consider using that link with that i think that's all we have in terms of spoilers for today And I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Will, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Cooper, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, and Benjamin. Thanks so much for supporting the show. It's because of you that we're able to keep the lights on here in the studio continue making great content and if you're not currently a patron but would like to become one and get sweet benefits as a result please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory if any of you theorists want to get in touch with us i am at commander theory on twitter and tumblr and zach is at fat bartleby on twitter our theme song is lincoln continental by entropy and you can check them out on soundcloud until next time we're going back to the drawing board